Welcome to Sliding Doors, the podcast that delves into the decisions and moments that shape our lives. I am Jenny Becker, and throughout my life, career and relationships, I've always been fascinated with the notion that everything happens for a reason, alongside my love for the 90s movie classic, Sliding Doors. Have you ever really thought about those moments that shaped your life? Those decisions that could have gone either way in the opportunities presented to you? What if you had taken that job? or told that person in high school how much you liked them. Each episode, I will talk to some amazing people from all walks of life and chat about their sliding doors moments. We will reflect on how a decisional moment changed the course of their lives and how things might have looked if they had never happened. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. My guest today is Sam McKnight, MBE. Sam is a hairstylist renowned for creating the most iconic looks and has worked with celebrities such as Kate Moss, Princess Diana and Lady Gaga. Originally from Scotland, Sam moved to London in the 70s and began his career working for Moulton Brown before going on to becoming an independent session stylist, working for high profile editorial shoots and a firm favourite at Vogue. In the early 90s, Sam was best known for creating Princess Diana's iconic slip-back hairstyle for her Vogue magazine shoot and became her personal hairstylist for seven years. He has worked extensively with supermodels Christy Turlington, Kate Moss and Naomi Campbell throughout the 90s and still to this day. He now has his own range of luxury hair care products, Hair by Sam McKnight, and last year he was awarded an MBE for his services to the fashion and beauty industries. As someone who is infamous for his fashionable, timeless, elevated styles and branded as having the magic touch by Kate Moss, I cannot wait to find out all about the moments that have shaped his life so far. So welcome to Sliding Doors, Sam. Hello, thanks for having me. 
Thank you so much for joining me today. I cannot wait to find out all about your extraordinary life. Um, so when I read that introduction, it's extremely impressive. How does it feel for you when you hear about all the things that you've achieved so far in your life and career? Well, I, I, funnily enough, I'm not just hearing about them. Uh, <laughs> yeah. um, I mean, when it's something you live through, you don't you don't have that view on it, do you? You just yeah. it's 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 all well. It's not just sliding doors. It's a it's a, it's evolution. It's life. Exactly, exactly. And I think sometimes we it's good to hear it all kind of joined together to be like, oh my god, like I've done all of that, and kind of throughout the years that you've done it. And was it being a hairstylist always a dream for you, or what was the dream when you were younger? There wasn't really a dream when I was younger. I was, um, I, I, I come from a very small coal mining community in the hills in the south of Scotland, about 50 miles south of Glasgow. And um, so, I mean, I was brought up in a council, schemes they call them in Scotland, housing mm-hmm. estates they call them in England. Um, so I was brought up there, in a, you know. And after school, I got myself into teacher training college um, mm. and because I, I don't know why, because I've got lots of A-levels and O-levels yeah. and that was kind of the thing people had started to do then. I think I, I was kind of probably one of the first of my generation to to go to further education mm-hmm. uh, before it started to become a thing. So I was really lucky, but I hated it. I really? absolutely hate Yeah, I hated being at college. I um I just found it really boring and we didn't really have much money. So I was keen to get out and start earning money. I'd always worked during the school holidays. My parents didn't have any money. So I, you know, I would work in factories during the school. I worked in a sock factory, a jeans factory. Love it. Um, I was a window cleaner for a couple of oh, years with a, with, a, with a ladder and a chamois leather, <laughs> you know, in the rain, hail or shine. So, yeah, so... And I, so I always had a bit of pocket money and I think I was just keen to get out in the world and get out of school. So I left after two years. My, my friends had a, my friends had a hairdressing salon Mm. and uh, a restaurant and a, a, a disco. So I had a bit of a bash at working in all of those and ended up kind of, really loving being in the hair salon, even yeah. being on reception and sweeping hair. And then I started to learn how to do hair. So it wasn't really a... A dream. Big conscious yeah. effort and a dream. No, it wasn't. It was more of a, you know, when, you, when you're when you kind of 17, 18, 19, especially in the 70s in, the, in this country, we were very tribal. You know, mm-hmm. the, the teens have their own kind of tribes. And I was in the David Bowie glam rock tribe yeah. and there was the hippie tribe and there was a skinhead tribe so I, and I was very much in that sort of um, wannabe glamorous world yeah I really love how you tried lots of different things because I think that you know it is great when someone has a dream and the dream gets fulfilled but also it's good for people to hear stories of people that just didn't know what they wanted to do and they tried lots of different things and when it comes to kind of you know you obviously have the most incredible talent for hairdressing do you think it is a natural talent that you have or do you think that it's something that you've kind of just grown and kind of the passion and loving it has kind of grown your talent over the years I think for me doing hair was a way to tap into some creative 
um, juices that were going through me. And, and I, what I loved doing was creating an image for someone because, you know, hair is, is an image, isn't it? And, and it was all about changing your image all the time. And then when I, when I kind of discovered, uh, magazines like Vogue in the school, in the college library, um, I started looking at those incredible images of Norma Parkinson and David Bailey in the seventies and Barry Latigan and, um, sort of realized the power of, of, of really of hair and makeup in, in, in photography. And then I got really into fashion and beauty photography. So that it was coming from a place of, of, um, fantasy really and aspiration, yeah. you know? Yeah. And it's amazing that you did find the way to kind of express your creative passion and fantasy. And as you say, like creating all the different styles and looks that you have. And, you know, you're still really hot on the scene now. Like you're, you know, you're still doing what you do and doing it really well. How would you say things have changed in the industry over the decades that you've been working in the hair industry? Oh, they, they, they... <sighs> They've changed enormously. I would say they haven't even changed. They've completely and utterly, you know, turned into something else. Because um, when I started in the seventies, there were a handful of magazines. There were there were a handful of hair and makeup people and photographers doing things. And and and, and I think the first show I did was for the Emanuels when I was at the salon in in Moulton Brown. And I, after because in seventy five I moved from Scotland to. Uh, London and I worked in Miss Selfridge and Regent Street for a couple of years and then went to there was a hair salon in it and then I went to Elizabeth Arden and then I moved to Moulton Brown in 77 and Moulton Brown was the salon where it was kind of the hot shit place in yeah. London to for all the celebs to get their hair done and um, Vogue magazine used to use hairdressers from the salon so I got sent out on a few shoots and a few shows. My first show, I think there were, I think there was eight or nine models and two hairdressers. Yeah. So nowadays there's maybe a hundred models and 35, wow. 40 hairdressers, 40 makeup artists. It's, it, and, and the shows then weren't public. They were trade shows. Yeah, and exactly. They were, I mean, there'd be journalists and, um, fashion editors there but they weren't allowed to take pictures and mm -hmm. quite often they they would sketch um so things weren't made th those things weren't for public consumption yeah so that has changed i mean there's been so many changes that changed in the 80s and then the 90s when the supermodel phenomenon happened mm -hmm. uh cindy crawford was doing house of style there was planet fashion and the clothes show on tv and then the internet oh, opened up so it's, it's been a it was amazing yeah. wasn't it so it's a shame we don't have that anymore but i guess I we all have our instagrams and and exactly. we all have our own personal clothes shows yeah and that's, yeah so those differences are are um enormous really yeah know. and it's amazing to hear it kind of through your eyes as someone that's as you say been there kind of like from the beginning of when all of this kind of as you say fantasy styling world started and you know you mentioned to me earlier that the pandemic was a really big changing point for you as well because obviously you're still very much in the industry you've got your own hair care line how did the pandemic shift things for you well before the pandemic i had i'd spent this past 40 years traveling probably 
six, seven, eight months of the year, you know, throughout the year, I would be away from home far more than I was at home. And the pandemic stopped the travel. And it gave me a real breathing space that I'd never had before mm-hmm. and time to um, really think about where I was going. And I've, I've never really had that before. It's always yeah. just been the opportunity arises. You take it, you go, you don't, you take this one, you don't take that one. You meet different people and mm-hmm. that leads in a different direction. But this forced me to look at myself and what I was doing. And it's, especially at my age, cause I was, I was 65 during the, the pandemic. So yeah. they're kind of, okay, what, what do I want to, what do I want to do now? What do I, what do I actually want to do for myself now? Uh, rather than just coasting along. And um, so we kind of, I got much deeper into developing products and finding investors and doing all that stuff. And we managed to do all that during the lockdown. I remember having a conversation with Tim Blanks on the business of fashion uh, on my, my, I think it was my first Zoom. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> do you remember when Zoom just wasn't a yeah, thing? And now it's yeah, just it was, all we it was do my every first day. One. And I remember saying to Tim, because everyone was sort of, oh my God, this disaster. And I remember saying to Tim, I'm going to look at this as an opportunity, not a disaster. So, so I'm going to take that stance. And I think I, I used it. Um, I used it to my advantage. I mean, I, I, I got COVID in the beginning, but not ser- Not I didn't have, suffer seriously. I just got my taste and smell back this year. So it's three really? years later. Wow. Um, yeah, but that was all I had. So I, I know a lot of people had a very bad time and I understand that, but, but I luckily didn't get sick and I, I kind of used the time to recharge and, and rethink what I was going to do with the next. And, and also just before that, I'd, I'd been working very closely with Carl Lagerfeld for 12 years at, at Chanel and, yeah. and Carl passed away just before that. So, you know, you kind of sense things changing and moving on. And the exactly. amazing, you know, life is all about changes. It's, it's about, it's constantly changing and it's about adapting to those changes. I think, I think, cause I think if you try to stay the same, it doesn't work. It doesn't always work. No. I mean, I, you know, you, it's about it's about staying the same but changing. If exactly. that makes sense, and yeah. that's why you're still so successful because you do adapt with the times. And I think it's a really lovely point that you make about the pandemic because I do think for a lot of people it gave them that time that they'd not had their whole lives to yeah. sit back, take stock, and really think about what they wanted to do and make it kind of almost the next part of their life and kind of what are they going to yeah. do after and. We're going to talk about some of the amazing people that you've worked with, um, including Princess Diana coming up. But when you kind of look back at your body of work, what do you feel is the best work you've ever done? Is there like one hairstyle, one haircut that you feel like that was literally the best one I've ever done? Oh, God, no. I mean, it's, it's, I, I, I did a book of my work uh, about God, a few years ago, about six years ago. And... Um, it's called Hair by Sam McKnight, and it, it basically is 40 years of images. And we, we had to whittle those down. I mean, I kept most things. I had most really? things. Yeah. Yeah. That the reason the book came about. Well, the reason, the 40,000. The wow. reason the book came about was because I'd carried these boxes of tear sheets and magazines around with me every, every flat or house I'd ever lived in. And the last move, I thought, I can't do this again. We have to, um, we we have to digitalize this. So yeah. I found a great archivist uh, called Tori Turk who uh, put everything together, digitalized it for me, and 
long story short, she also worked for Somerset House. They, they, they saw my stuff and asked, would I do an exhibition, which, which was incredible to be asked that. So we did a kind of book that went along with it. And it was getting 40,000 images down to a few hundred. So I, I kind of that. saw my whole life before. Yeah. It was really hard. The first edit down to 3,000 was really, really difficult because you kind of, you have a real sort of investment mentally in each of those images. You can yeah. remember most of them, the vast majority. I can remember the day. Really? I can remember the team mostly. Yeah. I, you know, you remember the person. And, and some people are no longer with us. Some people um, you haven't seen for 30. You know, it's all of those sort of mixed emotions some sometimes we had a horrible day on that trip uh, we had a horrible day on that job but the pictures are amazing so exactly. shall we keep them on or shall we not yeah. it was so it was a real kind of it was a real um if we if i hadn't done that i would never have looked at my archive it would all be in boxes but when it's all on 22 boards allowed around your living room for six months you're kind of forced idea. to confront it. Yeah. it 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 was um it, yeah, it was it was weird. It was really, really weird. So when you ask if I favorite one, it was really hard to have 900 favorite ones, okay? <laughs> well, I wish we had time to go through all 900 today. I'm glad we don't. Before we go on to talking about your sliding doors moments then, um, what do you believe in when it comes to the sliding doors theory? So the idea of fate, timing, coincidence, um, everything happening for a reason. What are your personal beliefs? I don't know. I, 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 I think I am a believer in grasping an opportunity when it arises mm-hmm. and, and looking at things as opportunities so you can do one thing or another thing or many things. And I don't know if there's any sort of um, – divine being that chooses for you I, i'm not sure about that i think i think we like to think oh well if it's there's a scottish saying such a, what, what's for you won't go by you yes we've heard i'm that not one i'm not sure about that because mm-hmm. sometimes it does go by you because you missed it and and you miss it for different things but there'll be something else i, I think it's more about having a positive outlook mm-hmm. and and not letting something that you feel you've missed get you bring you down it's about moving on it's about keeping moving on to the next thing if that doesn't yeah. work you know you know yeah. the, the, uh, the, every cloud has a silver light <laughs> exactly no but it's true because not always do good things happen and sometimes we feel like things should have happened that don't happen but as you say well, it's o- kind you of, often think that you think yeah. oh oh if that had happened it'd be you can't dwell on that i mean exactly. the sliding doors things is interesting because as one door opens another door one door closes, another door opens. I mean, that 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 for me is really kind of probably sums it up. You know, yeah. I'm not definitely. sure if it's something that's. I don't. I don't know if I believe that it's there's there's a destiny that we're all destined. I don't know. I don't mm-hmm. know. I guess none of us know. I I just believe in grasping those opportunities and making them work for you, and not being afraid to let them go if they don't. That's really important too. Because I'm, I, I can be guilty of hanging on to things. Yeah, a hundred percent. We need to let them go because that's what kind of helps us to push forward. I think that's it. I really love that outlook. 
Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. So onto your sliding doors moment. So your first one is moving to London in the 70s from Scotland. So I feel like this must have been one of kind of the most biggest life-changing moments for you. So do you want to take us back um, to the moment you decided to move to London and how this changed your life? Well, I had been at college. I dropped out of college. I was working with some friends in a hairdressing salon. And I think the year before I had come to London on holiday, Mm-hmm. And I mean, I, it, it, we had just come through a three-day week where we only had electricity for three days a week. Now, people now can kind of barely understand that, but yeah. it was grim. It was really, really grim. Um, but when I went to London on holiday, the, the, it was the first time really I'd been to a big city that was not Glasgow, you know, and I, we were from the country. So we were country bumpkins and uh, these, the, the, the bright lights of London and London at the time was, again, it was, it was coming out of the sixties through the seventies, through the depression of the seventies into sort of glimmers of glimmers of light. Mm-hmm. So 75 was, um, it was really pivotal because I, I remember being in Scotland thinking, I just want to go and live in London. Really? And I, I remember I, I lived in a flat with a couple of people and we just decided that night to go to London, left, left, didn't tell them at work, hitchhiked, really? in, yeah, hitchhiked in a lorry. I think we had a fiver <laughs> each, we had 15 quid between us. And um, that's how we got to London. Wow. And we just did it. I mean, I guess impulsive is the word, but yeah. Um, yeah, we just did it. I mean, I suppose it's something you can do when you're young. You don't think of the consequences, do you? Which yeah. is kind of really good. And, and and if we could just keep that for the rest oh, of our lives, it may be. But you can't because you have you 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 go on to have much more responsibilities. Yeah. But when you're a teenager, there's not not many responsibilities there, are there? Exactly. And did you tell your family that you were going? No, not a word. No. Wow. No, God, they were horrified. Oh my gosh, I bet they were. And what happened then when you got to London? So you kind of just arrived. Well, I had a friend who I knew who lived, she had a flat and we just turned up on her doorstep. Did you? And she, weirdly enough, she the, the flat upstairs was going. So Meant to we be. moved straight in. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I didn't know that. 
Yeah, no, but exactly. It was kind I mean, of like the I stars aligned. I had the aligned. nerve to be one of those awful people who turns up on someone's doorstep. I think <laughs> if someone did that to me, I wouldn't answer the door. I agree with but... you. I wouldn't either. <laughs> so you moved to London, you got this flat. And then by this time, so had you kind of done, did you know kind of hair was what you wanted to get into? And then how did you kind of get your first your first job? Well, I did. I, mean, I, I did a few, I, I, I remember going sort of around a few salons for a few jobs and I ended up working for a big American company called Glenby International who owned hairdressing salons in department stores and they had Elizabeth Arden and they had the the franchise from Miss Selfridge Mm -hmm. who had hairdressing salons and I ended up working in their they had a big Regent Street branch on the corner of Beak Street and um and i'm still friends to this day with some of those people and um we um yeah it was great it was really good and then uh, that's when i had started noticing that um all the hair for vogue magazine was being done by people from this salon called Moulton brown yeah so i just went and i blagged myself a job did you brown yeah i i I wasn't good enough but i knew i knew i was going to give it a go and I kind of had to retrain because we, we did everything by hand. They didn't encourage us to use rollers or... Yeah, really. Well, no, we used a few rollers. But they, yeah, we, 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 they encouraged us to use our hands and, and less tools. And that, um, that was when I was introduced to something called a photo shoot or a session, they called it then. And I was thrown in at the deep end and thrown out thrown into a few shoots but we, they would they would be doing shoots for the daily mail and the daily express and um so i'd get sort of sent out and those and then then i had to go and replace someone who was ill on a vogue shoot that's a sliding and, doors moment yeah there you go uh, yeah. but that's what happens that that's yeah. uh, and um, i mean you know if i think it was just the morning of they said you're going here I'm like, okay so you don't really get to think about it. Yeah, you and, just got to um, do it. Yeah, and I, uh, yeah. So then, then I just sort of I, I took that opportunity, and you know, I still work for the, this day. I'm a contributing editor there now. So, how um, many shoots yeah. do you think you've done for Vogue over the years? Oh God, I know I've done well into the 200s of covers so i i don't know I mean, I mean there'd be there'd be probably 10 times as many shoots as that you know amazing and it's a it's a really great sliding doors moment because i think i love kind of the carefree attitude that you and your friends had to just be like let's go to london you'd been there before you'd really kind of got the bug and the kind of that feeling that you just wanted to go and live there you went and did it got to your friend's house happened to be a flat available, which is kind of one moment of fate. But I think also you created your own luck in this situation. You went round to the, you know, the different stylists, you you blagged your job at Molten Brown. Um, you know, if that person hadn't been sick that day, maybe you wouldn't have gone on that Vogue shoot. But it's all of these things that kind of, from that one decision that you made, it kind of changed your life forever. And would you, would you say that your job at Molten Brown is kind of something that really changed everything for you when it comes to your, your career in hair? Oh, absolutely. Uh, w- without a doubt. And, and I learned so much there. 
because Michael, who owned it, Michael Collis, his, his philosophy was so different from everything else that was going there. I mean, they, they, it's known now for, as, as um, you know, hand wash and Yeah, it's interesting because I don't think a lot of but people have known. at the time, they, it, was, it was an amazing building. It's still there, the building. It's not Malton Brown anymore. It's in South Malton Street, which was like the coolest street in London at the time. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was... They used to make their own organic hair products from their own rainwater. I think it was in Wales they used to go, or, or it may have been. No, it was Wales, I think, they used to go. And, and it was all made from natural um, ingredients. They were one of the first to do that. And, really? and it, it really was um, groundbreaking. Yeah. I mean, what people say, you know, game-changing, groundbreaking, whatever, now. But that really, 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 really was. was. Yeah, and um, it taught me a lot, and it, 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 I met some amazing people there. Who, again, I'm still friends with to mm-hmm. this day, which is brilliant. And um, yeah, it set me up for the rest of my life. Really, yeah, definitely. It was a really good base, and yeah, kind of it was, um, it was cemented everything for you. And the big question I want to ask is, what if? So, what if you hadn't have decided to move to London? What happens if you had stayed in Scotland? How different do you think life would be for you? I don't know. I don't know. The, the what ifs I never really dwell on because you don't know because it could have been yeah. another door. You know, the, the, the sliding door doesn't mean, to me, doesn't mean that there's only one opportunity. Exactly, the other door yeah. has another opportunity. So who, who knows what would have come. I, I, and, but I, I think I would always have been ambitious. Mm-hmm. So whatever happened, I think I would always have had that burning drive yeah. I think it comes from being a, being being born really poor. It was that constant drive to not to get out of that, you know. Yeah, definitely. And as you say, I feel like we never know what other doors will have opened, but I think we and we look back, we can look back at the door that we took at that time and then what the kind of doing it at that time kind of led to and Well, I think it's all about the timing, isn't it, really? Exactly. As well? Yeah, it definitely is and you were definitely in the right place at the right time for that sliding doors moment. On to your second Signals moment. So it's another big moving decision, which is moving to New York in the 80s. So what made you move to New York and why was this such a sliding doors moment for you? Well, after I had done that first shoot in the mid-77, I mean, it was a really heady time. It was it was the time of Studio 54 and... Um, <laughs> New York was this sort of magical, mystical place on the other side of the Atlantic. And, and getting on a plane to New York wasn't as easy as it was now. Oh, it God, was, yeah. it was, you know, it was, it was different, you know, uh, and suddenly flights were getting much cheaper. It was much more accessible. And I know there was a few hairdressers, a few hair and makeup people had gone in the early eighties from London to New York. So and I knew there was a, so there was a much bigger market there. The, there was an industry there, mm-hmm. which there wasn't really in, in England. It was really small. Yeah. Um, so New York was much more commercial, mm-hmm. you know, and, and creative as well, because lots of the shoots had started, lots of shoots from magazines had started being shot in New York with American photographers, because American style, Americana had really kind of, yeah. because I think it had become so accessible to mm-hmm. 
us in UK. And, you know, there was always that American dream thing. Yeah, yeah. exactly. There's movies like Greece and American Graffiti and all that were really positive. So America, and it had opened up to travel. So New York, LA, all that suddenly seemed not only a dream, but it seemed really accessible. Yeah, and this sort of sure. Studio 54 image of that was being portrayed in Vogue magazine seemed really appealing and there seemed to be lots of work for hair and makeup people anyway i had gone on to work quite a lot for vogue in the late 70s and in 1980 michael quite rightly so uh, who owned Mont brand decided that he wanted all us hairdressers out of the, the um, photo shoots he wanted us back on the salon because we were losing money <laughs> yeah and um i decided that I actually preferred creating images. You got the bug. Uh, yeah, than doing 12 clients a day. I, I, mm -hmm. I realized that's not my forte. Some people do that really, really well. That I, You know what? I thought I'm going to give this a go because at the time it wasn't – I, I don't know people, my, a lot of my contemporaries said, oh, are you crazy for leaving the salon? I you, should be, you should be kind of doing a bit of both. And I, I thought, well, yeah, I'm gonna, you know, I'm going to give it a bash. It's mm -hmm. okay. And I, I drove around in my little car doing, I think, you know, about 20 or 30 clients a month that I used to cut hair for a 10 or a pop or 50, I can't remember, 10, 15 quid. And it wouldn't have been that much. No, maybe a fiver <laughs> back then. Oh God, I don't know. Anyway, it, it's, it was, it, you know, it kept me going. Yeah. And in early 82, I, uh, I, I took a holiday to New York with a few friends and I thought I'm going to take some, like a mini portfolio with me and see if there's any interest from agents which there was yeah and i found an agency called brian bantry which was very hot agency at the time and i'm still with them 41 really? years later Amazing. yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah and um so yeah that took me to to new york in the 80s and i just went for a few weeks and i ended up pretty much living there for 18 years i mean i was backwards and forwards all the time but 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 i'm i think i'm i'm I'm, um, yeah, 82, so 41 years on and off backwards and forwards. Yeah. I mean, the 80s and 90s were, I was there mostly recently, not so much. Mm -hmm. But, um, yeah, and, and, and New York in the 80s and 90s was just such an amazing, especially in the 80s, because I remember the first time I got there, it was, it was all very sort of Starsky and Hutch and, Starsky and Hutch was in the 70s. It was a TV cop show. It was hugely yeah. successful. And um, I remember getting to New York and thinking, oh, my God, this place looks looks like it's still in the 70s. Because what I didn't know was New York had been bankrupt in the 70s. And in the 80s, it was kind of pulling itself out of that. But it, it was almost like a time warp. Um, it felt so – it just felt so old-fashioned. Yeah. I remember that being very struck by – I remember seeing a cab driver wearing platform shoes. Now I hadn't seen them for ten years. Yeah, <laughs> and um, yeah, it was um, it was quite an eye opener. And it was really rough, New York. It was really mm -hmm. dangerous and really edgy, it's cheap like you wouldn't believe. Um, and from the beginning of the eighties to the end of the eighties, the early nineties, the change was huge it was quite it was unrecognizable almost you know yeah. it was in in a few short in a decade yeah 
Incredible. And what are kind of some of the the moments and the stories and the kind of things that happened to you in New York that really, you know, would never have happened if you did stayed in London. So are there some kind of moments that you really remember that were, were really defining with your time in New York? Uh, I think getting to work with iconic photographers like Irving Penn mm-hmm. and um, Horst P. Horst, who's, who's just sort of a, one of the most iconic photographers from the, you know, the twenties and thirties, um, getting to work with those guys was really amazing. It was just, that was a dream come true. You know, that was incredible. That would never have happened if I hadn't been in New York, you know, and Mm -hmm. I got to work with Mr. Penn quite a few times, uh, throughout the eighties and and, and early nineties. Um, and just, just being exposed to, the sort of electric, the electricity of the creativity in that decade was was extraordinary. And, you know, being around for, because I came in then and the models were Christy Brinkley, Brooke Shields, Janice Dickinson. It was those girls, those all-American girls, Patty Anson, who had been the kind of late 70s, early 80s, Studio 54, all-American beauties. And that was kind of giving way to a more European, um, diverse kind of um, different era, I guess. Mm -hmm. And so the the crossover there was because, so I came in at the end of that. And and, and back then, models were only successful till their mid-20s and then the next generation came in. It's not like now where the models, you know, in their 60s and 70s, that, that, that was not there. Well, the growth as well of the the sort of um, these young girls like Christy Turlington and Linda Evangelista, Naomi and Cindy would all be coming on go sees, which meant to see the photographers, to see if the photographers would like to work with these 15, 16 year old girls. Like I say, it was youth oriented And, and watching those girls grow into this incredible phenomenon that happened unforeseen by anyone really. Yeah. And I think this moment really kind of jumps out at me in the sense that I think you definitely seem like someone that takes an opportunity when you see it, like you didn't really have a plan to move to New York, but you went there, you know, you went there with an open mind, you took your portfolio with you. And actually it's a lovely story of just being able to open up your mind to what's in the world. You know, you've been able to kind of be in so many different situations, see so many different things, gather all that creativity, soak up kind of everything that's around you. And it just means, you know, it's not just in your career, but probably like you as a person in life, like you've seen so many different things and different ways of being. And as you say, New York was so different and then it changed and, you know, as it went on to the nineties and London was different. So do you feel like really kind of that's something that you've always had in your life? You want to soak up every different culture, every different, you know, society and people around you. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, it's, it's about soaking up every moment as well. Soaking up every opportunity. I'm a great believer in opportunities. I'm a great believer in, opportunities and I kind of really like going into the unknown yeah I like throwing myself into a situation um and I I still like doing that and I think that's really important not to lose that definitely it's what keeps us going it's about taking a risk taking a chance if you know what if this happens well what if what if it doesn't what if that happens you know so yeah yeah 
So on to your last line doors moment is meeting Diana in the 90s and working with her for seven years. So this is an incredibly iconic moment for you, for her, but also for the public as well, because it was a really kind of defining moment, you know, for her in the 90s. So do you want to explain exactly how you met Diana and how you came to do her iconic haircut? Okay, so from that time we just talked about when I started to see these young teenage girls who became supermodels arriving on the scene to to be the next generation. Um, we then went on throughout the 80s. Uh, the people think of the supermodel thing to be a 90s thing. It was actually, I saw all of them, yeah. all four of them, the other night we had dinner, which was amazing. And uh, we, um, and Christy said, she'd, I met you in 1984. Wow, she, it, so it, it really was, was mid-80s, yeah. Yeah, and I remember I met Naomi in 85. So they we had been working over the next part of the decade shooting lots of vogue lots of vogue covers and with a lot with uh patrick de marchelier the photographer who um um i went on to work with so much over my entire career and he, he i have everything to thank him for and um patrick by the late 90s had no by the late 80s in late 80s or early 90s early 1990 around that time Mm -hmm. had been asked to photograph princess diana because uh her um the 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 lady who looked after her wardrobe was called anna harvey and she was the fashion director at british vogue yeah and anna had i think i think they had seen a vogue cover that that diana had liked and Diana asked him to do some pictures of her and the children. So he did that. And then for, for the next shoot, um, I didn't know this. For the next shoot, uh, Mary Groom or myself and Patrick were shooting some young royals. Um, we had um, Sarah Chateau and Lady Helen Windsor and with Victoria Lockwood. And um, there were a few more and we didn't really know who was going to be there. It was a shoot and we were so, we, that's what we did all the time. We did shoot yeah. folk all the time. Yeah. Shoots, lovely young girls. Da, da, da. And then this very tall sort of leggy blonde comes bouncing up the stairs and it was Princess Diana at the end of the day. And um, who completely um, just absolutely disarmed us immediately I with bet. a big smile and, and, um, and a, a, a giggle. And that day, she was just really great. Her sort of warmth permeated mm-hmm. everything, and her, and her humor. She was really funny. She was lovely, and um, and gorgeous. And uh, we shot a few images, and I made her hair look short. Yeah, I faked it because it, it was it was sort of the big flicky nineties, eighties mm-hmm. thing, which actually, looking back now, kind of looked great. But this was nineteen ninety, and it was time for, um, you know sleek power suits mm-hmm. you know i mean like business female power, yeah. in fashion yeah so and it was going from the frou frou frills of the 80s into the power 90s and i guess that time in her life was changing too not that i knew that at all. yeah um but we shot some images and i mean we had a lot of fun that day um and there's one iconic image from that day which is the princess with a strapless, I think it was a Victor Edelstein gown, uh, strapless satin, and she was wearing a tiara. And, and it looks like she's just on sitting on the floor with the bed sheet wrapped around her, but it, mm-hmm. it you know, because it's, it's yeah. close. 
And um, that's what people thought it was anyway, that was some <laughs> of the comments. Um, but actually she's got a huge big natural um, smile because I used to make her laugh because Patrick's English was he just no one understood him you yeah know? his French was so thick so I would be translating and we we would be peeing ourselves laughing because <laughs> it was so That's funny so nice and, and so the, the big smile is really natural and I made a fake to hair looking shortish and um I mean, I I now have that image as a fridge magnet, which I Do found you? in one of those tourist shops. Yeah, Amazing. you know you've made it when you got exactly to work on a fridge when, magnet, yeah, right? Of course. <laughs> and um, so, um, at the end of that shoot, she said, "What would you do if?" I just said, do whatever you want. And I said, I think you should cut it off short and you know, just start again and kind of, you know, just go for a fresh start. So she said, do you want to do it now? So I did. And wow, not so thinking, just then I was, I, But then the thing is, I, I, will, I hadn't been living in England full time for a long time yeah. and I wasn't really aware of, and I wasn't, wasn't particularly royalist or paying yeah. much attention to any of so that. So the pressure you know? was taken off a little bit. There was no pressure because I'd been no doing Vogue. It was another yeah, Vogue shoot, yeah. you know, and, and wow. she was this really nice lady, you know. Of course I knew who she was, but I didn't Yes, but you didn't understand. It was hard effect. to know, yeah. yeah. And, um, yeah, the, 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 ne- the next day we all went off to Paris and the next day the press all over the world had gone insane. So you literally just cut her hair at the, at yeah, the shoot? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And... Um, I mean, I was in Paris, so I kind of was getting, you know, I, I, I saw the, um, it was in the French newspapers as well. Yeah. But there was no internet or anything then. So yeah. no, no one, no, no mobile phones. Nobody was texting me saying, oh my God. It's <laughs> not done. like it would be today. nothing like that. So yeah. it was, it was, it was not as, how can I say? It wasn't as. Uh, like crazy as it would have been if it was today. Well, it was crazy in a different, it was yeah. crazy in a different way because it wasn't like today. It's almost, it's one thing one day and it's gone the next, but there it kind of builds. Mm-hmm. Then it kind of builts. Because it, it has to slowly more, get everywhere. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so anyway, when I went back to London a couple of weeks later, I, I, I got a message saying, would I come in and see them? And would I, would I kind of take care of her hair? And I was like, yeah, sure. But I am traveling. So we managed a way of doing it where I had a couple of people from the salon that I was connected to Daniel Galvin go and take care of her when I wasn't there. And so we, I, man, I managed to juggle that for seven years. Yeah. I, I think that, that was, that was a crazy time because I was, because yeah. I, and also I, I adored her. She was, she was, and I just wanted to, I just wanted to make her happy, you know, so I didn't want to let her down. So I thought, okay, I'm going to try and make this work. And that was the, the, the traveling in that was, was really crazy yeah. because I was trying, I was traveling doing my own stuff and then with her doing her stuff. But I, I, I wanted to make it work, you know, because yeah. I could easily have said, no, I'm, exactly. not, I'm too busy. I can't do this. But there was an opportunity there that I, but it was, I, it, it wasn't this, it wasn't an opportunity for me to, the thing is about doing hair, you, you have a relationship with people, mm-hmm. you know, you have a very particular, you, you build a relationship with clients, you know, and, and it's, it's, a, it's, it's, it's trust. It's, it's quite intimate, but it's, it's, it's respectful. So, and you yeah. kind of, you, I mean, I, and I'm a people pleaser. So you kind of want to, you want to make people happy, you know, you want to, you want to make people happy with what you do. And, um, so I just wanted to, I really wanted to make that work yeah. as long as she did. And, um, uh, yeah. And I, uh, I, I, I got a lot from that cause she was amazing. 
um, counselor and listener. Yeah. And, you know, so uh, you, you people say that it's doing hair is a kind of, it's like a, a therapy. psychotherapy involved. Yeah. But it's a two-way street. For sure. Because you're both seeing each other at your most vulnerable moments. Yeah, and, of you know, in close proximity. And I think when something like that works for the clients. You feel it. You, 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 you don't want to lose it. It's, it's yeah. precious. I mean, I still work to this day with a lot of people that I worked with 40 years ago. Yeah. So those those things are really precious to me you know yeah of course they are and from how you've told this story I think as well you know as you said when you when you kind of went on the shoot you had no expectation you were doing what you do anyway and you know with everything that Princess Diana was going through she probably you saw her as just who she was and that probably yeah, really resonated absolutely. with her but I, it, like like I do with everyone who sits yeah. in the chair everyone's the same you know exactly it's just an amazing moment. I absolutely love the fact that you just cut her hair then and there. You know, today it would be all like the, all these conversations and probably meetings with people and how are we going to do it. And mood boards. And mood, mood boards. boards, exactly. Please, please, and like, no. It really just shows like how something can just be created out of such a lovely moment. And, you know, you worked with her for seven years. Is there any kind of really amazing memories you have from that time? So many, so many. I mean, she... she, she um, I, she didn't have a huge entourage. She did her own makeup. She didn't have a stylist. I think Anna would help her introducing her to, to designers, but she she dealt with the world herself. And um, I mean, I introduced her to Donatella Versace, who be, there was a dress that that um, Christy Turlington wore in a shoot when we were in Paris shooting the couture, and Christy said this would look amazing on the princess. And she said, why don't you take this Polaroid? So I took the Polaroid to her and it's a really beautiful pale blue with studs Versace dress. And it's kind of unlike anything she'd never ever worn before. And I think between Anna Harvey and myself, we, we, we got her introduced to Donatella and Gianni, who then went on to make us some of the most beautiful block color, you know, suits and things throughout the early 90s when she was you know when she was growing up really you know because she she went she she was she was yeah in her she was turning 30 I guess so um moments oh god so many (sighs) refugee camps in the Afghan border which was really incredible for me to to see because I would never have been I I saw things that I thought I would never Mm-hmm. ever in my life have seen and it's a real sort of eye-opener and humbling experience for me mother teresa's in calcutta where we were kind of sitting around um with on a leper colony and with with uh, hundreds and hundreds of abandoned babies and uh, you know people who would die it's the hospice for the dying that's yeah. what it was called and and lots and lots and lots of amazing moments not just moments, a lot, lots of amazing more opportunities again yeah, for me to see things that I would never, ever yeah. have experienced ever before. It's amazing. And and when you really think about it, you know, we can really pinpoint it back to, you know, if she'd not, so many people as well, when she said, what would you do with my hair? Probably wouldn't have just been honest and said what they thought and you did. And it really shows your character and you being your authentic self. And just that one little moment doing her hair then, if you hadn't have done her hair then, she may not have asked you to be her, you know, work with her for the next seven years, which would have changed a lot for you. 
it sounds like you know we were going and do, doing giving her a blow dry before she went to these places and it was all no, very grand yeah. it wasn't it was she was very much of um these people they don't want to see me coming out of the gym with wet hair they want to see princess diana and mm-hmm. she knew that that was what brought the attention of the world's press to the i mean she we, she opened a limb fitting center yeah, for kids places, who had their yeah. arms and legs blown off in in um pakistan and and that she knew the attention that would bring and she had she had a respect for people that that she wanted to appear respectful exactly exactly what incredible experiences you got from that one moment and as you say it changed kind of things that you saw in your life that you've probably carried forever and sam thank you so much i can't wait to see all the things you carry on doing thank you for sharing all of your amazing experiences and moments with us today and just thank you for being a guest on the podcast thank you thanks for having me thanks sam bye bye Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Sliding Doors. If you've enjoyed our chat and found it inspiring, I would love it if you could rate, review, share and subscribe. Thank you so much. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.